Sometimes I really wish I were an elephant. If I were an elephant, I would know what my future holds. I would know that the older I grew, the more respected I would be. I would become the matriarch of my family. Everyone would look to me as the keeper of wisdom. I would remember from long ago where in the vast lands there might be a source of water during a drought, and I would lead my family there. When I grew very old and weak, I would be cared for, and when I died, the entire clan would grieve my passing. Elephants actually gather branches to bury their loved ones and stand vigil for hours over the body. Elephants, I don't suppose, are more virtuous than we are, but they are hardwired in a way that serves them well, both as individuals and as a community. We humans, on the other hand, shape our own destinies and identities as we grow old, depending on many factors, what nation or tribe we are born into, what family, our wealth or poverty, our religion. Different cultures have different customs regarding aging, and these are subject to change as women enter the workforce and countries industrialize. No hard wiring for us. Growing old, coping with loss, facing death is an intensely personal and individual experience. I asked my mother, who turns 90 in a few weeks, if she felt different in old age than she had when she was younger. No, she said, almost apologetically. <laughs> she feels exactly the same. This sentiment is common. Our experience shapes us for better or, or, or worse over the decades, but inside, we are the same person. That doesn't mean, though, that the world treats us the same. Whether we wish to age with grace or go out swinging, how we face old age is closely linked to how our culture and society view older people. At age 57, I see glimmers of what lies ahead. I just found out, for example, I'm eligible for the seniors menu at the Tasty Diner. I don't know why I wasn't excited. <laughs> Ross and I were at a party recently where we ran into folks we'd known in our late teens. We were enjoying looking at photographs of ourselves back in the day, but our pleasure was marred when a new, younger girlfriend of one of our friends groaned out loud. She looked at us at various stages of graying, balding, wrinkled, paunchiness, and then she gazed at the photos of our younger, fresher selves. 
Oh, she said, isn't aging terrible? <laughs> Jeez, I didn't think we looked that bad. <laughs> she was expressing what many feel, that young adulthood is the pinnacle of our lives and all the rest downhill. In this view, old age is the enemy, a time of inevitable decline, a plodding march toward death. We swim in a cultural stew of such thinking. Take television. A new study from the International Longevity Center looked at how TV portrays or ignores older people. Although 13% of the population is 65 or older, just 2% of TV characters were. Worse, 70% of older men were portrayed disrespectfully and cast as bad characters. Another study found that women over age 40 on television were typically shown as betrayed, abandoned, and abused. Perhaps this thinking explains the booming growth of the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine, which is not recognized by any actual physician or research associations, by the way. But it holds huge annual conventions in Las Vegas. According to this outfit, American consumers annually spend $56 billion, billion with a B, on serums, hormones, retinal creams, Botox, megavitamins, facelifts, facelifts liposuction, and gizmos like Thermage, endorsed by Oprah, a skin-tightening treatment delivered by radio waves all in hopes of arresting aging. Just yesterday, Ross and I noticed big ads in the Post and the New York Times promoting an injecting gel to get rid of those unsightly parentheses on your face. But no amount of miracle treatments can change certain facts. Our eyesight or hearing does fail. Our joints give out. Our stamina flags. Worse, over time, we lose our loved ones, spouses, siblings, friends. Why wouldn't we dread growing old? But what if we framed our narrative a different way? Many traditional societies seem to be better at this than modern industrial ones. I turned to my trusty Encyclopedia Britannica to read up on how human cultures have regarded aging. While older people in industrial societies lose their roles, it said, in traditional or agrarian societies, old age is associated with some special characteristic regarded as an asset, such as usefulness in the performance of chores, skill in dancing or storytelling, control of property rights, power in the family, 
seasoned experience, or extensive knowledge. Even today, many Native American communities hold to the belief that old age has meaning. Father John Brian Paprock, an Eastern Orthodox priest, describes a custom he observed recently in a Native American community in northern Wisconsin. He writes, every year, several of the tribal leaders take all of their most treasured items and lay them on a blanket. Then the people walk by and take anything they may need. I couldn't believe this at first, he writes. I asked if the elders kept anything at their home. Nothing of value, I was told. By the end of the line, most of the items were gone. There was a silence as the elders sat by their empty blankets. He continues, a new line formed and began to walk by the blankets. This time, the people gave anything the elder would need. Blankets, sacred items, food, cash. Not only did most of the items return, but the blankets would be overflowing. He wrote, I was astonished at the simplicity and the powerful lesson of giving and receiving, of letting go of what is valued in this world and trusting that needs will be met. As moved as I was by this lovely ritual, it's hard for me to imagine applying it in my own life. Ross and I live in a very close-knit neighborhood. A few of my neighbors are here today, as a matter of fact. And I can imagine sitting on my front porch with my possessions spread before me in the yard, and I know they'd be gone in no time at all. (laughs) But as much as I as an ethical culturist, have faith in human goodness, I would not expect my neighbors would then shower me with loot. Perhaps I'm underestimating them. (laughs) But I'm curious, are there ways to translate such practices into our time and place? Eric Erickson, the famed psychoanalyst, argued that every life stage has meaning and that fully realized individuals embrace rather than deny each stage. Looking at our society, he found that we came up short. As we come to the last stage, Erickson wrote, we become aware of the fact that our civilization really does not harbor a concept of the whole of life. He continues, any span of the life cycle lived without vigorous meaning at the beginning, in the middle, or at the end endangers the sense of life and the meaning of death in all those whose life stages are intertwined. Let me say that one again. Any span of the cycle lived without vigorous meaning endangers the sense of life and the meaning of death in all those whose life stages are intertwined. 
What Erickson is saying is that finding meaning in old age benefits not only each of us on our own life journey, but our whole culture, all of us whose life stages are intertwined, young and old. Erickson's words echo those of Felix Adler, the founder of ethical culture. Thanks to our very own detective, Mary Herman, who discovered an unpublished paper by Felix Adler in a collection of rare documents at Columbia University, we learned that Adler lamented the shabby treatment of elders. He wrote, we live in a time in which old people are not considered as they ought to be. We have forgotten what the privileges of old age are and the lessons which old age can teach. And worst of all, the aged themselves often accept this opinion of themselves as creatures whom it were better to shelve. Interestingly, Adler felt that to rectify this situation, older people needed to lead the charge. I'm now picturing them as kind of a precursor to the Gray Panthers. <laughs> the change must come first in the feeling of the aged themselves, he wrote. They must put forward their claim to the honor which is their due for their own sake and the sake of human society, unquote. A basic tenet of eth ethical culture is the value-worth paradigm. We hold that each of us has intrinsic worth, regardless of our station in life, our net earnings, our age, or disability. This certainly applies to us in old age, when our paid work may have ceased our children, if we had them, are grown. They may live far away and have very busy lives. Old friends may be gone. Perhaps we have trouble walking or seeing, or perhaps our incomes have shrunk, and earlier dreams of travel are no longer in reach. None of that matters, says ethical culture. You are a beloved part of the community. So again, Erickson and Adler both stress that there is an individual and a communal obligation to reclaim old age as an important and worthy life stage. Over the last decade or so, an emerging body of thinkers has been trying to do just that. They reject what they call the declinist mentality that views growing old as being less than. Less than who we were in our romantic, strong, invulnerable youth. These boosters of conscious aging don't gloss over the challenges and difficulties of growing old. Dr. Bill Thomas, who is best known for his transformational work in nursing homes, holds that elderhood, as he calls it, is a time as valued and precious as childhood or adulthood. Precious and distinct, with specific purpose. In his book, What Are Old People For?, 
He suggests that this third age of life holds its own gifts and that there is meaning until we take our last breath. People like Dr. Thomas believe that our later years can continue to be a time of growth and creativity. This is not just wishful thinking. It's supported by science. Neuroscientists have discovered that many old assumptions were wrong. While our reaction times are slower and our short-term memory weakens, in other ways, our aging brains are as good or even better as they were when we were younger. The notion that we are born with a finite number of brain cells that die off one by one, leaving us less than what we were, is quite simply wrong. In fact, we do keep producing new brain cells. In addition, pathways between our brain cells multiply the more experiences and memories we have. Lifelong learning, creative expression, problem solving, physical exercise, all seem to nurture this growth of neurons. Dr. Jean Cohen, a pioneer in the field of creativity and aging, believes older people are often better problem solvers than younger. He loves to tell this story of the time his in-laws emerged from the D.C. metro into a terrible snowstorm. They were expected at Dr. Cohen's house for dinner, but it was impossible for them to get a cab in the snow, as you can imagine. So what to do? They noticed the welcoming aroma and warmth of a nearby pizza parlor. They ducked in and ordered pizza to be delivered to the Cohen household. <laughs> you know where this is going. After paying for the pizza, his father-in-law said, oh, and there's one more thing. We want you to deliver us with the pizza. <laughs> And so it was, they arrived safely through the storm bearing pizza. <laughs> While Dr. Cohen acknowledges that a younger person might have come up with this same strategy, he believes this story illustrates a phenomenon he has witnessed in his decades of research, that older people possess what he describes as an agility of thought and a maturity in their psychological development. With age, he writes, can come a new feeling of inner freedom, self-confidence, and inner liberation from social constraints that allows for novel or bold behavior. This may account for the results of some new studies just unveiled at the American Psychological Association's annual convention. These studies found that the longer you live, the happier you become. The researchers found that older people learn to avoid stressful situations and to take criticism in stride. They know that life is growing shorter and they wish to use their time wisely. Others view the later stage of life as a fruitful time 
not for leisure, although that certainly may be part of it, but for giving to the community and for reflecting on our legacy. Bill Thomas argues that old age is a time that is less about doing than it is about being. This may be a challenge in our society, which is all about doing. Even AARP magazine likes to picture octogenarians climbing Mount Kilimanjaro or dancing the tango at midnight. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's wonderful, I'm sure, if you can do it. Regardless of our physical abilities, though, there are important spiritual or developmental goals we can set for ourselves in old age. Erickson described the final developmental challenge as integrity versus despair. By integrity, he meant, do we look back on our lives with contentment, with a sense that life has meaning, and that we've made a contribution to the world? Do we gain perspective on the wholeness of life, accepting death as the natural completion? Or are we filled with despair, second-guessing choices we made, fearful of our impending doom? When we think about having integrity in this way, old age becomes not a time to dread, but a time to aspire to, a time that with preparation we can live fully and well. Maybe instead of fearing old age, we should all think of ourselves as elders in training <laughs> as we try to live in right relations with, uh, with each other and as we seek justice for all. In this way, when our time comes, we will have attained not only years of experience, but some wisdom to help us through difficult times and to be an example for others to follow. What are, are our challenges or tasks as we age? I'd like to suggest a few, and I hope you can add to the list. One is to create and share your legacy. Having the time to reflect on what we've learned in our lives not only brings us that sense of integrity, but also as a way of passing on ethical and cultural traditions to the next generations. When I was working on my book on nursing home transformation, I visited a place called Wesley Village in Connecticut. They have a project there they call Life Stories. They train volunteers to conduct in-depth interviews with residents there. They publish these life stories and make them available to families and visitors. And it's a nice way for people to learn about each other. I spoke to Joyce Walsh, a resident, who was sharing her life story with Julie, a volunteer. I was first struck by how much Joyce and Julie were enjoying each other's company. Julie, the younger, told me she was learning all sorts of things from her friendship with Joyce, like how to can garden vegetables. But even more remarkable was what I heard from Joyce, the elder. She said to me, 
I didn't think I had a story. She was in her 80s, and she thought with some humility, I imagine, that she didn't have anything special to tell. But with her gift of time, with her gift of listening, Julie was able to help Joyce find her life story. Joyce was able to reflect on the values and the bonds of her family and realize how her own parents had shaped her life. That reminded me of an African proverb I came across. Perhaps you've heard it. It says that when an elder dies, it's as if a whole library has burned down. I know Mary for has, has for a long time wanted our teens here at the Ethical Society to conduct oral histories of our older members, and I think it would be a wonderful idea. Another way to have meaning as we grow old is to explore our sense of creativity. Not only do people often have more time later in life, but they are as not, not as bound by fears of failure or of being judged by others. There's a growing field of creativity and aging. Liz Lehrman, for example, made her dance troupe famous early on by including older people, some of them in wheelchairs. I've met so many, many elders who never thought they were artistic or talented and who were enjoying discovering a new part of themselves. I've met people in their 80s and 90s, some of whom had dementia, who were painting for the first time, or singing in a chorus, or making pottery, or storytelling. A third way is continuing to give back to the best of our abilities. This may mean helping take care of our grandchildren, or it may mean volunteering here at WES or in the community. It could be we become surrogate grandparents for our neighborhood or make phone calls for a food bank or for a political rally. I want to add something here that I think is very important. I recognize not all of us will be able to fully realize this stage. Some of us will not be so lucky. Some of us will suffer in old age from debilitating disease, including dementia. We may not be able to actively pass on the legacy or care for our grandchildren or contribute in the way we would have wanted. We become dependent where we wanted to be independent, and we lose so much of ourselves. But people like Tom, Bill Thomas argue that even then, even then, elders have something to give and something to teach. It may be that despite terrible adversity, they can still laugh or tell a good joke. It may be that they face calamity with dignity that inspires us to handle our own problems with more grace. It may be that they awaken within us compassion 
that we did not know we had. And allow us to tenderly care for them who once cared for us. And in that moment, the pain and fear of loss might be made bearable by trusting that we will be held in a loving embrace by family and friends, no matter what may come. That's the lesson, I think, from the elephants, from the ancestors, from many great thinkers, and from ethical culture, that only when a community sees every life stage from infancy to dying as precious, as an honored and sacred time, can each of us feel safe and whole. Thank you all.